Father, you plant, you water and you make all things grow. You do it in us and throughout the whole Christian church which belongs to you. Lord, in this short time now, show us again your all-surpassing greatness and the richness of your providence to each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, soften and guide our hearts and work in each person that we would leave here renewed people, transformed people, people filled who go out with confidence and rejoicing into your vineyard. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was checking out a blog this past week and it was uh, a blog from the US called Slumlord Watch. Slumlord Watch. And this site and others like it have sprung up in the last few years because of soaring rent prices in major cities. And so this one started in New York City and it's, it's gone out from there. And what's happening is people who don't have a lot of money are forced to pay very high rental costs to live in rat-infested apartments. And people are reporting horrendous things like pantries that come to life at night. Don't want that. Waking up with cockroaches in their beds. Anyone got an affinity for that? Water-damaged ceilings that uh, mean that you can actually see the light coming through the roof because of the damage. All kinds of rat bites, terrible stories. Because for many people, living in a dangerous and disgusting apartment is a tough reality. And they're finding themselves at the mercy of a slumlord. And a slumlord is a building owner who holds his tenants hostage with cheaper but still high rent and yet refuses to protect their dignity, refuses to protect their safety by maintaining buildings even to the most basic living standards. But we're Aussies and we know there's always another side to the coin, don't we? See, for every slumlord that's out there, there's an equal amount of bad tenants to even things out. Tenants who are wild and cause problems for neighbours, not to mention tenants that fill their yards with rubbish and junk and devastate the inside of houses and apartments. There's nothing new under the sun when it comes to landlords and tenants, we know that. And deep in the Gospel of Matthew today, Jesus tells a parable about what else than a rocky, intense relationship between tenants and the landowner. But here's the thing. In Jesus' story, it's not the landlord who abuses his power and fails to care for those living in the land. It's the tenants who take complete advantage of the landowner's trust and generosity and then suffer the consequences of their actions. What we can say today with absolute confidence is that God is no slumlord when it comes to his people. Maybe the question we need to ask is, what kind of tenants are we? There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. This landowner, the almighty and living God, does absolutely everything possible to provide a time of rejoicing with wine and gladness of heart for everyone in the vineyard. And so he goes to a lot of trouble to make this happen. A lot of trouble. He planted the vines. He put a wall around it to protect it. 
He dug a wine press, two holes, one deeper than the other with a canal running between them so that you could trample grapes in one and the juice would flow out into the deeper hole. He built a watchtower for spotting any potential villains that might be looking to harm the people of the vineyard or the crop. I mean, he did everything. God carefully and lovingly prepared his vineyard. It's a product of his deep and caring love for his people. You heard it in Isaiah 5 today where the Lord says, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? He planned, he built, he prepared everything and it was good. In fact, it was awesome. God is definitely no slumlord. He spares no expense. He doesn't even overlook the tiniest detail when it comes to looking after the people of God, to looking after you. And then he lets the vineyard out to tenants. He entrusts his vineyard, which is a a picture of the people of God, to tenants, Israel. He could have spared himself so much pain and anguish if he just kept the vineyard for himself, its grapes and its wine and the rejoicing and gladness and celebration. But no, God doesn't work that way, does he? He doesn't work like that. He wants you to celebrate with him. He's a relational, personal God. And while he's relational and personal, he also has some expectations. God as the landowner rightfully expects that his people are going to be excited and glad to be in his vineyard. He expects that they will serve however they can, use their gifts to produce this rich, beautiful harvest. He expects that they'll be happy and rejoice in giving him his due. He expects that as he entrusts the work of his kingdom to serious disciples, that he would harvest faith and trust and joyful and willing obedience to his will. He expects that. He expects that everyone also will rejoice and celebrate together. The landowner and the tenants all together as one rejoicing. Fat chance, God. Fat chance, not likely, comes the response from these tenants. Fat chance. Instead of receiving a loving response from them, they offer God something else. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another and stoned a third. I mean, just get a picture of that in your head. That actually one servant comes along and they beat the living daylights out of them. The second one they kill. The third one they dig a pit in the ground, throw him in the pit with a with a sheet over his or her head and then pick up rocks and throw them at the head until he bleeds and dies. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They'll respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come on, let's kill him and take his inheritance. And so they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And they took him out of the vineyard because they didn't want blood on the ground of this land that they wanted to keep for themselves. And so they throw him outside because they don't want that which they want to steal to be unclean. 
Have you ever shown someone a great deal of love? Have you ever put in such a huge effort and then been rejected? God has. Have you ever gone all out and invested time and energy in a person because you can see their need, you see it and you want to meet it and you do but instead of joy and appreciation you get shut out, you get cut off. Lots of parents will know exactly what that's like but you don't have to be a parent to get this. It hurts being rejected by someone you really love. It hurts. You all know that. And God has been going through that for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of generations. Instead of living in the vineyard, these tenants, instead of enjoying the fruit and wine, instead of tending the vine for the joy and the salvation of others, These tenants conspire to steal the vineyard from the owner. They want to control their own kingdom and they reject the landowner's tenancy agreement. Flat out, we don't want it. What they want is to be God. They want to exercise their authority in the vineyard. They're not interested in being tenants or stewards of anything. What they are interested in being is slumlords. Slumlords who mistreat anyone who comes onto the property. And so their response to the love of God is to reject and kill his servants, the prophets, and now they conspire to reject and kill the son, thinking that they'll get the legal claim to the vineyard and they can have it all to themselves. Jesus turns to them. He turns to them and he asks them, therefore when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? I don't know, what do you think he should do to those tenants? Amazingly, their eyes are so blind to the fact that they are the evil tenants, they even condemn themselves. He'll bring those wretches to a wretched end, they say, and he'll rent the vineyard to other tenants who give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Have you ever heard of the author Eugene Peterson? You heard of him? Yeah? Nodding of heads? He wrote the Message Bible. He's written a whole heap of stuff. He said one day that parables... I love this. Parables are narrative time bombs. Time bombs. They're stealthy stories that steal into people's hearts. They confuse them. They throw them off balance for a minute and you don't quite know where they are and then that aha moment comes where the truth actually comes to mind and it explodes in people's minds like a time bomb. And if you've ever seen it, you see it happening. You see the expression on people's faces. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the Scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be pulverised. It says crushed but pulverised, nothing left. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. And the time bomb detonates. You can see it. 
you know, it might feel today as you sit there that all we're doing is watching this time bomb going off in the hands of the religious leaders of Israel but I've got to be honest with you, you're in this too and so am I. You're in the blast zone, shoulder to shoulder with these religious leaders. And I say that because you know, you know that there are times in your life when you've ignored or rejected the clear command of Scripture. You know it, I know it about me. You knew it and you did it anyway or you you didn't know and then you were convicted when you heard the word. You were cut to the heart. And that's how it should be because rejecting the word of God and living as ungrateful tenants is not a good thing and it isn't unique to the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Every single one of us needs to hear Jesus' warning against rejection and unbelief. Just like we all need to hear that it wasn't only the sins of the religious leaders and the Pharisees that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. We all hammered nails into the hands and feet of our Saviour on that Good Friday, every single one of us. But I want to say to you, the call of God on your life today is to turn away from rejection and unbelief, to turn away from it, to turn your back on it and walk walk the other way to return to a true and living faith in that landowner's son, Jesus Christ. God is calling each one of you to see and marvel, marvel at what the Lord of the vineyard has done. He has not rejected you. He doesn't reject you. He will never reject you. People do that. God doesn't do that. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. God's own Son came to the vineyard sent by the Father in love who provides everything to bear pure and sweet fruit in the midst of rotten and sour grapes. Jesus came to the vineyard where there was one more act of bloodshed, one more cry of distress when he was nailed to the cross. But the grave can't hold our Saviour. Death cannot hold the Lord of the vineyard. And he rose from the dead and he's become the cornerstone and foundation of your living faith. You don't have a dead faith, you have a living faith that is alive and walks in the promises of Scripture. You need to know today that God has chosen you in Christ. You are not rejected, you are elected, you are chosen, you are His And he's restored you as his precious vineyard today. Restored and cleansed and called you out by name and he's given you a purpose and commission to live in the resurrection life that you have in Jesus' name. The call isn't to idleness. The call is to come and serve in the vineyard of God. Today you're invited to taste the fruit of of the vine in Holy Communion. To taste the depth of God's love as Jesus comes to you mysteriously in this piece of bread and in a mouthful of wine. Because in exchange for the bitter taste of sin, for that bitter taste that lives in God's mouth, He gives you the sweet wine of His risen and glorified Son. 
He gives you the wine of gladness today. He gives you the wine of rejoicing. He gives you the wine of kingdom celebration. God is no slumlord. He gives you His all right down to the most intricate detail and He gives it to you every single time. Will you give God the same in return? Will you give the Lord everything you've got? What kind of tenants do you want to be? Do you want to harden yourself? Do you want to reject the call of God today? Or will you strive to live as a faithful steward in his vineyard, drink deeply of the wine of the kingdom? A vineyard where the celebrations never end, friends. They never end. Where the landowner and the tenants reside together in perfect unity. It's a vineyard that produces a harvest of faith. It produces a harvest of joyful, willing obedience. To God. Father, lead us away from lives that reject you, from lives that reject your messengers and your Son. Lead us away from valuing anything more than being found in Christ and having His righteousness. Help us to count all things as excrement, as loss, as rubbish in comparison to knowing the gospel that frees us and fills us with the wine of your kingdom joy. Thank you that you are no slumlord, but that you have lovingly and intricately prepared your vineyard for us to serve in, for our joy and the joy of all peoples. And so as we commune with you today, change us and renew us to live in joyful and willing obedience to your gospel call. Thank you that you never reject us, Lord, that you always continue to call us home and to call us to a living faith that lives with you in your vineyard. We thank you and we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds safe in Christ Jesus. Amen.